It was only a matter of time that the world came up with a new phony baloney way of making and exchanging currency. Gold wasn't even used as money until 550 BC, which I guess is actually a long time ago. And before that, it was amber, animals, seashells, silver, and other precious and scarce objects. Hell, who are we kidding? We're killing all the fish in the sea life. So who's to say shells aren't more valuable than gold at this point anyway? Mining has also been a part of modern culture in some form of another for centuries. So it only makes sense, and I put this in air quotes, to call solving math problems on a computer mining and then calling that math problem solving on computers making money Uh, and then taking that money, which are coins that you never really physically see or touch and calling them polka dot, ripple and polygon. And just like the Kardashians thrusted themselves upon pop culture, so did cryptocurrency. Now everyone is talking about crypto, or at least pretending to talk about it. And honestly, it feels like no one really knows what the fuck they are talking about. Trump released his own NFT a couple of weeks ago, and every kid in the world is panicked about their Roblox. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. And it's damn fucking weird. I asked Taylor Strecker what cryptocurrency was, and she seemed pretty sure in her answer. Cryptocurrency is money that is used, it originated on the black market, like 4chan, 8chan, to basically like partake in illegal or semi-illegal activity. Sex stuff, definitely drug stuff. Um, I think it was called Silk Road. So I feel like cryptocurrency, it kind of originated from like the dark web. But like anything that happens on the dark web, it always like somehow weirdly finds its way to the mainstream. So like now it's mainstream and people are like buying a lot of stock in it, like making like fuck tons of money. Did crypto manifest on the dark web? I'm not sure. I think Taylor just like... (laughs) watched a couple of documentaries and got all that language. But listen, the origin story is very weird. And all I know is that my rich white friends seem to be really comfortable with their crypto positions and their bored ape Twitter and Instagram profile pics. And I'm over here being like, what the fuck is going on? In a quick Google search about crypto, I was met with what seems like a pretty simple answer Once you've either opened your mind enough to know that all of this sounds insane and to go with it, or if you are just blinking and nodding and pretending that this is all real, maybe the same thing. Cryptocurrencies run on a distributed public ledger called a blockchain, a record of all transactions updated and held by currency holders. Units of cryptocurrency are created through a process called mining which involves using computer power to solve complicated mathematical problems that generate coins. What? (laughs) First of all, I wasn't very good at math, and I'm not like that good with computers, so this just doesn't seem fair, really, you know? I had a friend over the pandemic that was super into crypto and convinced me in what felt like a panic buy to invest. I lost all the money I invested, and I'm not thrilled about it. Uh, So... (laughs) I kind of gave up on crypto when one day I was on LinkedIn and an old friend of mine, Les, hit me up uh, for a check-in. And Les, he's an interesting guy. Like he, I've been kind of seeing on social and even on TV that he's become a figurehead 
for Web3 and crypto. I thought it might be good to talk to him, given he like seems like he is the crypto king, and tell us what in the world is going on. Um, I was trying to think about how... Did I meet you when I was bartending? Uh, no, I met you at um, Son of a Gun. At Son of a Gun? Mm-hmm. God, you know, it's so funny because I have really lived so many lives. I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? Um, I think living lives, I mean, what's the point? We're here for a blink of an eye, you know? So, like, you want to live a lot of lives. And, and I worked at Del Taco, you know, and I remember it fondly in some strange way. Wait, you in know? L.A., Del Taco? No, I, I grew up in Orange County, kind of. I was born in Torrance, which is new information. I thought I was always born in Gardena. Um, but I, I'm, my family moved me to Orange County. And I think when I was like really young, 15 or something, I somehow got a job at Del Taco. I don't know how old you have to be to get a job. Um, and it was every horror story you can think about, but it was also kind of cool. My wife loves Del Taco and I've never eaten Del Taco before. Ever. There's like a, never, never, ever. I have this theory. You know, when I was in elementary school on Tuesdays, they would have the plain double hamburger day or double cheeseburger day from McDonald's. And every Tuesday you would get these things and it's like scarred into my head, you know, what those things taste like. And that's just a fond memory because like I had Eastern European parents and they would give me um, shitty food. So no one would trade with me. Whenever I would somehow manage to get one of these things, it was like, oh, I got one of these hamburgers. And, you know, I became a vegan about five years ago, I guess now, six years ago. And a place opened up on La Brea called Mr. Charlie's. Yeah, I and saw it, it has like the fake McDonald's kind of it, or a nod it to it. Tastes the same. They're exactly the same as those cheeseburgers or hamburgers. So like for the for this happy vegan, it kind of made my day. So you've gone crypto king and vegan since I've seen know. you last. Wow, Les. Wow. Crypto king. You are uh, a crypto. You're like a crypto NFT king. Well, I mean, what is that? Is that like king of the junkyard? <laughs> you tell me. I mean, well, it's so let's like take it back because I know, I mean, okay, so we met at Son of a Gun. That's so crazy. Son what of a Gun. And, yeah. and I, was on, I was on a date, I think. Yeah, with and, Jessica. Yeah, Jessica, who I haven't talked to in years um, because, you know, that's how my relationships typically end, imploded. <laughs> and... um <laughs> You were so funny and nice. And, um, you know, Son of a Gun was, was cool. I want, that was the first time we had ever had food there. But yeah, Jessica. Wow, what a time. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that I was so funny and so nice. I you never, were. ever hear that. I was. I don't know if I am anymore. I'm sort of old and bitter. So things have really developed. Welcome home. Welcome thank home. you. Thank you. Well, and I, okay, so... I didn't really understand what you did for work. I still don't. Um, so it makes sense. Like when I saw you on TV and on podcasts, it's like, oh, this is the dude who fucking runs the metaverse Bitcoin NFT world. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because I never really understood what he did. But I know you worked in music. So I want to hear a little bit about that because I obviously well, you don't not obvious to you, but obvious to some of the people listening. I worked, you know, in music in the beginning of my career worked in my space later on after you and I um, met. 
But something that is so funny and so lesbian, and you have to tell me if this is a true thing that I remember, but I remember going and hanging out at your house in like on Benedict Canyon on the other side of the canyon. Uh, I remember this story. This is after the breakup and it was my my lesbian get together. Yeah, it was so weird. And I was like, I don't even remember the lesbians, but all I remember was that you lived in fucking Tina's house. Is that true? It's true. I lived in Tina's house and I didn't even correlate that with my get together. And, you know, I'm so, I'm 54, so I'm so bad at understanding what, you can say and what you can't say. And I'm constantly putting my foot in my mouth, you know, especially with this younger generation, because I just don't understand it. Like, I don't even know if you can say lesbian get together. Yeah, you, you know, can. like it was okay. a gathering of lesbians at it your was, house. It, it, I don't even remember who was I, there. It was, Thanksgiving. it was Thanksgiving, I think. Really? It was lesbian Thanksgiving. Yeah. But it wasn't on Thanksgiving Day. It was. Really? Yeah. Damn. I just remember driving, it was sort of raining and I we got to the house. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool house. And you're like, yeah, have you ever watched The L Word? This is Tina's house. And I'm like, yeah. that's crazy. And I never, never really put the two things together. You know, like I just wanted to hang out with some friends and, and I think it just ended up being friends, you know? I think and I was actually specifically looking for a rich lesbian at the time. And I think you were trying to help a sister out, if I remember correctly. But I don't awesome. remember who no, was don't. there. You know who lived next door was Eddie Van Halen. No, I didn't know that. Also another yeah. lesbian. We should have invited him over. Yeah, I mean, wonderful lesbian. Wonderful lesbian. Okay, so you worked in music for forever. Were you A&R? Talk us no. through it. Tell me, no, tell no, me what I mean, you did. It, you know, here's the way it worked. You know, I left home at 16 because... You of know, Del my, Taco. My, you were horrified that you had to work at Del Taco, saved the money. No, 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 Del Taco, I, I loved. It was great. Um, still sticks with me. Uh, you know, my dad was complicated. My mom was complicated. And it was it was pretty tough at the time, especially for a 16-year-old, I think. And, and I, my sister just told me the story where I guess I had an altercation with my father, which was physical. And I just finally said, fuck this. And I left. Um, I had left once when I was 14 for a couple of weeks. And then when I was 16, I just left. Um, somewhere in between, I needed to figure out how to make money. So I started throwing parties. Um, and that became like the first version of what raves would look like. And I mean, really, 1986 is when I started throwing parties. And, you know, by the time we got to like 87, 88, they, they started to shift into raves. And I brought over a lot of British talent. Um, sadly, Martin Duffy from Primal Scream just passed away. And and in 1989, that was like such a life-changing moment for me to meet those guys. I'd never met a band that had done so much drugs. Um, and I, I was introduced and was to still them, alive. Yeah, from Warner Brothers Records. And, and I just hadn't seen anything like that in my life. Um, so, you know, the raves turned into a concert promotion job. Concert promotion job turned into a job at a record company. The record company job turned into a job when they asked me to politely leave in the Silicon Valley, working with the first version of kind of enhanced CDs that would create a faster experience on the web for artists. Um, and then I came back and I managed bands with a guy named Bill Silva, who I'm still dear friends with. Um, and, I know Bill Silva. Yeah, you do. And it was artists like Jason Mraz. And I think the other lesbian might have been a photographer for Jason Mraz at the time. Oh, God. Is that how I met her? Was you? 
You're welcome. Oh, you're in trouble. She was so fucking psycho. I like kind of dated her for a little while. I didn't. I know you you didn't. I was just like vulnerable, and she was so intense with me. She would just like show up to my apartment. That's totally what the fuck it was. Oh my god. I always wondered how I met that chick. And yes, and she was Jason Mraz's photographer, and it was so weird, and she was so intense and kind of shapeshiftery. And she, I, I blocked her on, I had to block her on everything phone, Instagram, Facebook, everything, twi- even Twitter. Like, who even, like, okay. And I'll never forget just finally telling her, like, please stop calling me. Stop. She would show up to the MySpace office because I think I was working at, yeah, I was working at MySpace then. Oh, you jerk. That's your fault. So after that, we kind of had a little bit of a shakeup and I went and managed on my own. But then I did a bunch of things in tech, you know, built some early iPhone apps with artists like Lady Gaga and, you know, um, Jason Derulo and, and stuff like that. And um, at the same time, I was curious about Bitcoin and it was trading at about 200. This was 2013. And I'm like, eh, 200 bucks, that's a lot of money. I don't want to pay that for something I don't understand. And I'm going to find the next one. And I ended up becoming an advisor for a company called Ripple in 2013. And then in 2014, I invested in the Ethereum presale and figured out how to get Ethereum out of the box for like 50 cents. And, you know, that was like the start of the journey. In 2017, I bought my first NFTs. And in 2018, I formed a company with a finance guy named David Seymour. David Seymour had done a lot of venture capital. He'd sold a bank to China Capital. Um you know, he was an M&A banker. He'd just done a lot of finance. And I was just kind of scared shitless. And I didn't really want to work with artists anymore. I was still working with Winona Judd at the time. Oh, that's and right. That was the last thing I did in the music business, kind of. Um, and we started this company called Wave Financial. And Wave Financial was a registered investment advisor out of the box. So we created these early stage venture funds. We also like figured out a way to do treasury management on protocol treasuries and high net worth treasuries. So a lot of people would have extra crypto. They wouldn't know what to do with it. So instead of it just sitting there, we could figure out a way to make money with it. Um, we were always regulated, you know, first by California, then by the SEC. So we always like followed the rules and the guidelines and were conservative. We also created a lot of financial products. So that was kind of one part of wave. And then by 2000, well, you know, I think we started in 18, 19 and 20 were pretty rough. 21, we were just hitting about $2 billion in assets and the company was really kind of growing fast. Um, And then of course it's not that today because of all the implosions, which, you know, lucky enough, we didn't hit any of them. We were really careful and conservative about that stuff. We didn't do simple things like, Hey Liz, give me some money. Oh, I'm going to go gamble with it. Pretty easy not to do that. And a lot of these other companies were, and while we were making kind of less returns, we just tried to stay really consistent. And where the story branches off really into NFT and metaverse is, you know, I, I really like immersed myself into that. Go through a divorce, you'll do lots of weird ass shit um, and spend a lot of time learning. So, you know, we launched a metaverse NFT fund, but now I'm like actually launching a Web3 studio, which is super, super exciting. So, okay. Um, well, congratulations. You and my friend Christine are the only, well, and actually my ex. Wait, who, Christine from NEM? No, Christine, this woman who's my travel planner, who you should use as well. She's the only six. I only know three success stories really in crypto. You, Christine, 
And unfortunately, my ex, who's a monster who owes me about $25,000, and apparently he lives in like Thailand and is a crypto something or other. I don't know what, it's all very shady to me. But my friend Christine cashed out her 401k at 40 years old, put it into Ethereum from an advice from somebody, but hit it right and took it all out last year quit the advertising industry, lives with her adorable son and husband in Florence and travels and plans people's travel. You live in a gorgeous mid-century modern mansion somewhere. Looks pretty good to me. It sounds like you're running around with billions of dollars skipping about in the metaverse. Well, I would and, say I'm running around with billions of dollars. A company having, you know, a lot of assets is Okay, fine, than- fine, 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 fine. He's like, oh, clarify, clarify. But No. So for somebody like me, when I was like, ooh, kind of watching Bitcoin, kind of not, you know, everybody feels like, ooh, they're late to the party. The whole Dogecoin thing popped off. You know, you watch people like my friend Christine making tons of money in Ethereum. Little sharks like me are like, I'm interested in it. NFTs specifically was always very interesting to me because of my time in the music industry, because I really like the idea of being able to authenticate pieces of art, especially I think it's interest in music from a music ownership perspective. Obviously, we've seen different platforms pop up over the last couple of years that have tried to help, you know, producers and writers maintain credits and make sure that they're paid appropriately on on music, you know, kind of whatever. Interesting to me. I, you know, bought a bunch of Tezos, which I really um, regret presently um haven't really done anything with it but i've just i'm waiting for it to turn around um a good friend of mine you might know him adam fell is one of the founders of one of you know i was like okay this is interesting to me but um it all my money's gone less all the money all the money went poof goodbye but, but is it and you know here's what i'll tell you you know the music serv- music service Yes, it was a service. It was like the army. The music business served me really well because I learned a couple of traits. And they're the same traits you've always had because I know you pretty well. And that's understanding community and it's being early. So the mistake you probably made is you waited and that's not what you should be doing when you approach this stuff. Because if you can get in early enough on something because you believe in it, that's where you can actually create some success for yourself. And that's not financial advice. That's just advice, you know? And if you really think about NFTs and where it's going, you have to like drill down into what the Web3 ethos is. You know, what's the Web1 underlying fact that it's a read-only internet? And if we look at Web2, it was read and write. It's when applications emerged. Well, the thing that went wrong with the MySpaces of the world or other companies is how they treated data and how they treated privacy, and how they treated monetization of things they didn't necessarily own. So when you look at decentralized currency and you look at a decentralized world, well, that empowers the creators. And the way it does that is is a couple of ways. You know, if we are able to take that ethos of Web3, which is decentralization, digital currency, and privacy, it means now I can exploit the content I own. So. NFTs go much deeper than just a JPEG or just a collectible. They are going to shift what rights look like. So all of if we look at Web2 and we look at kind of modern media that you know about, you know, we always have the centralized kind of overlord that owns the rights and IP and gives permission to use it if you can get to that person and pay enough. 
it's a really fucked up way to think about the world, especially art that needs to see the world. And it usually gravitates towards what's successful and what's not. And they'll pour resource into what's successful. It's really fucked up. So yeah. if you look at Web3, what it is, is democratization of creators. So now what we have is we have decentralization. We have the ability for rights to be different. You know, you have Creative Commons, you have owner-owned and exploited rights of products, and we can look at a board ape. You know, if I have a board ape, well, and I want to go open up a fast food Del Taco style restaurant, it could be my board ape restaurant. I don't have to ask permission. So because you already see, there goes my dog. I own it because I own it. And when I think about the other part, you know, how these things complement each other, you know, so. When we think about all of the layer one foundations, you mentioned one Tezos, and there's Cardano, and there's Ethereum, and there's Ripple, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then there's these other layer twos. And then in the same way that people built applications on top of, you know, a mobile phone, you know, using uh, Apple or Android, iOS, um, you now have these foundational layer ones that people are building on top of. And, and that's where it even kind of goes further for the creators. So now you can use digital currency. Now you can be transparent on transactions. Now you have ownership and you control everything that's yours as a creator. Um, so when we take a look at the sector that's really kind of exploding, metaverse gaming, you know, not only do they have big treasuries, but you can take an NFT, you can put it into a game and it enhances the experience. It might even allow you to earn with play to earn or listen to earn or watch to earn or the way that world's going to change. So you have to look at an NFT as innovative technology that can be applied in many, many different ways. And if you're early to those concepts, then you'll see what people are building. And that's how you'll create some success for yourself. Do you think Web3 and just and even gaming and, and where gaming is headed and where it already has gone is bringing people together or is it pushing people further in isolation with a false sense of community? I don't know. I mean, just as much as you're on Instagram, you know, or any other social media platform or watching TV or listening to music. I mean, I don't leave the house much. You know, I think all of that stuff. Why don't you leave the house much? Because you live in a sick house and you're on the metaverse. It wouldn't matter. I I wouldn't leave anywhere anyway, you know. Um, Why? I mean, I just wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm just happy, like existing, you know, okay. um, and, but, but the thing is, you know, is it going to change the way we interact? I mean, if you've ever had a quest two on, you know, these kids, there is no difference between real life and immersion. And I don't know if you've ever had a VR headset on, but you should get one because it's a completely different experience. I mean, you can do everything from like meditations in really amazing locations and the technology has gotten so good. And, you know, we have TikTok launching their VR. We have Apple is going to come with theirs and, and the world's going to look very different. So the people that kind of are looking at how this technology fits in, well, it's part of the ethos. Those three things, you know, don't mean digital currency is going away. It means it's going to change again. And it's global. All of this stuff is global. So it's just, you know, it's not that you need to look back and say, hmm, I wonder if Tezos is going to go up 10 cents. Like, it doesn't matter. I like, needed to go up projects. $5 less. I need look, not look, 10 look, cents. Look at, look, look at the projects, you know, and when you can get into them that are interesting early. That's the difference. And there's so many coming. I've seen so many amazing things recently. 
you know, especially coming out of the gaming space. But well, let me know. It. Well, can we talk about that offline? Because I don't even think we can get in trouble for insider trading. Like, is it even a thing? Look, a lot of this stuff isn't securities. And, you know, at the end of the day, the regulatory guidelines are coming now because of what happened with FTX. Um, I think the guy who runs the CFTC, you know, the commodity side of the business is really smart. He's going to create these really interesting regulatory guidelines for what they govern. And Gary Gensler is going to do whatever he does. He's the SEC guy. Um, no, but I'm, that's great. But I'm saying like right now, I need to redo my kitchen. I need to talk about a game that's coming because it's not a security. It's a game, you know? So, oh, and whatever, but, but is that, that the game is only going to be transacting with a certain cryptocurrency? No, I mean, you have to look at it kind of a different way. Is the game a good game? And is there digital currency in the game? And how's that currency being utilized? If it's speculative in nature and I'm making money off of the efforts of someone else, well, that might be questionable. If it's a token that allows me to buy a digital wearable or virtual item, well, that's different. That's just a transaction then at that point. So, you know, currency, all currency isn't alike. They're all vastly different. Yeah. All games are like and by the way when you look at the regions of where these games are successful a lot of stuff in asia is very different you know the guidelines to asia are very different you know you can't have cryptocurrency in china for instance but you can have blockchain and nfts so you know region by region you're looking at global transactions of global currencies and global objects and i think the problem with the understanding of all this is there is no understanding with most people because it's all surface they mm -hmm. haven't gone deep enough to see what's actually being done and what the purposes and use cases are. Everyone's like, well, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to do an ICO and we're going to buy the shit cheap and then we're going to pump it. And so, and like, yeah, I mean, a lot of that happened, but that was never what I was interested in because that just felt like another get rich quick scheme, you know, and I was interested in what, what are the real applications? How do we follow the guidelines to build a business around that? What country outside of the U.S. do you think has adopted NFTs specifically in a meaningful way? Or do you think it is it Asia or is it China? Like, I mean, where do you think they all have in some some ways? I mean, look, you got regulatory guidelines that are pretty strong in Europe. There's smaller regions, but, I, you know, Asia and the things I'm seeing emerge in Asia. I mean, that, that's a market where some of our NFTs have value over there as well. If we look at Hong Kong or Singapore, they were always forward thinking and China, especially, you know, w with NFTs and what they mean. Um, but the blue chips are the blue chips, you know, and things like Bored Apes and CryptoPunk. So they were, you know, unique in their own way. And, you know, those are going to stick around and you got Azukis and Moonbirds and Ringers and Fidenzas and, you know, like this whole vast kind of vocabulary. Is everyone on mushrooms that works in this space? Because it sounds like it. It does sound like it, doesn't it? I used to be, but, you know. Microdosing? Not in sober 17 years. That's what I thought. I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've no, never, I, I've always known you to be sober. But I remember what it felt like. To be on mushrooms? What do you think about the whole micro dosing craze, especially here in Los Angeles? I can tell you that I want to do it all. So what's that tell you? That mm -hmm. I can't do it all. I can't do any of it. Like I want to go to Peru and just disappear. You know, I want to really do not, you? I, I, I want to not just microdose. I want to try every single plant drug that exists on the face of the planet. And, you know, that's where I go. It's like fuck the drinking. Like, give me all that. And I want to eat frog poison. So, yeah, I mean, so that's why I, I can't. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you get some sort of, um, I don't even know if this is, I don't know if this is the right word to use in the sober community, but do you get like a fix via VR? Like, does any of this stuff kind of like scratch yeah, that itch? Really, I've been sober a long time, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really think about drinking or doing drugs, you know. Yeah, you're I, just I think like, someone, and someone you're was, vegan? Oh, so you just have no pleasure left. No cheese? Oh, jeez. I could do without meat. It's the cheese that will you know kill I'm, me. I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I've cheated recently. I bought some fucking Twinkies. Twinkies? Yeah. That's what you're gonna cheat on veganism with? Twinkies? Yeah. Yeah. Not like nachos. <sighs> we're we're two different kind of gals. Because let me tell you, Les, if I I went, I was vegan for a girl. Actually, actually, just to bring it all back, it was the girl I dated after that psycho that I met at your lesbian Thanksgiving. She was a real asshole, and I really wanted to impress her, and she was vegan. So obviously, I went vegan for her. <laughs> For like a good like six, seven months. And I, it didn't bother me. I mean, I grew up in California eating vegetables. Like I get it's more difficult depending on, you know, kind of how you grew up and whatever. But cheese was just something I couldn't let. Be. There's so many good vegan ice creams out there. No big deal. But cheese, you can't replicate cheese. That cashew cheese is just like, it's rubber. It's rubber. You know, I get it. But um, it was hard kind of the first But you first feel good. Feel Why'd you go vegan? You know what? Because like I had done a test and, and the guy like was like, you have precancerous cells. I'm like, well, pre is really a close word to cancerous. Let me change my lifestyle. Right, and right, right. Got tested three years later. Nothing clean. Really? And, and you know, I, I think, you know, in this country specifically, and everyone has different opinions, of course, but um, it made sense to me, you know, that eating different prevention would matter. Um, so I just kind of went with it and tried to get active and, and did all that as well. Well, your you know? skin looks great. It's that Hungarian skin, you know, that Hungarian skin is just, it's, it's kicking. Um, what would you say? I mean, I know you've been doing a ton of shows and press and, you know, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but do you think everyone should get involved in cryptocurrency do you not think everyone like what do you what would you I, say I, to I think two, two answers to that i mean i think a lot more people than you know are already involved um and have been um and bad headlines like ftx make people curious um but i think it it's really about what you can afford to lose and if you go into it thinking okay well this is what i can lose then then it's okay to do it um so no, I don't think everyone should go into it. I think someone who can't afford, you know, to to feed their family should not go into right, it. Right, of course. Right. Fair advice. Fair advice. I oh, mean, chance it... to get rich, you know. It, and the other thing is, like, I dedicated a ton of time to learning about it before I ever started throwing money at it. And the education part was more important to me because I just wanted to understand what could be done. And I think when I started, you know, doing the parties when I was young, I was really like idealistic, like, oh, parties, life. And then somewhere in the middle, I just like got it sucked out of me and became this dick that worked in the entertainment business that just cared about the money. And, you know, now that I'm out the other side a little bit, I'm like, eh, you know what? I just want to do things that kind of inspire me. Let's help creators make more money. And that was the whole point of building the Web3 studio was I want to do things very, very differently than the current businesses. I have this theory 
My understanding is four of the first five studios were built by Hungarians. True story. Like Universal and Warner. And they were Hungarians. So really? I figure, I figure, you know, why not build a Web3 studio? It's in my Hungarian blood. So what does that, walk me through that. I'm sorry if I sound stupid, but like here I am, Liz Cully, and I want to record Cool, Cool, Cool in your studio. Can I do I that? Think, yeah, I think the way to think about it Explain is what, to I, me. What, I, what I did is, well, first I got a bunch of money from Cardano and they're really great partners of ours. We do a lot with them and they had the vision and the vision was to create I'll make it really simple. You've been in an antique mall, right? Yeah. Okay. So you go into this building and then all of a sudden there's all these little shops, but they're not connected. And that's the way I thought about this studio, that we could have all these little shops <laughs> that aren't connected. One could be a streaming service that's connected to blockchain. One could be um, a new way to look at film and television. Another one could be rights. Another one could be sports um, and, you know, merchandising and, um, you know, social influencers. And there was a way for all of these things to kind of interact with each other if it was being funded, and it would create kind of a more powerful economy. So a game studio as well. So for instance, if I had the Liz rights to Liz, and I wanted to build a game, well, I had a studio that could do that. I didn't have to go through agents or managers and find opportunity. And then if I decided Liz could sing, I could create a record. Or a but I can sing. There you go. So I could do all those things and then leverage them off each other. And it wouldn't cost as much to, to have the experience and create. So the other thing I was able to start to figure out is how do I start to get catalogs by scale? You know, and that's what we started doing. We started looking around the world at things I wanted to work on and how could I make them, you know, be connected to Web3 and the metaverse. And quietly, I've been doing this like seven or eight months, you know, we're just getting to a point now where there's going to be a whole bunch of things that we launch that are vastly different, like even with influencer culture, you know, the idea of digital twins, I have a very different idea of what that's going to look like. What, what are you talking? What is a digital twin? So a digital twin to me is you have these influencers, for instance, that might be influencers that play games, right? Like on Twitch, they live stream. Well, I could create a avatar from that person and put it into different metaverse games. And that avatar would work on behalf of that person. So now you have a digital twin that is representative of that actual human. Um, and I've actually done a lot of these deals already kind of really quietly where you take someone and, and both things will work off each other. The game itself will have a different kind of monetization. You can sell things I haven't really explained this to anyone yet, so you're getting a straight scoop here. Um, you know, the games themselves, you can sell virtual goods, wearables, game packs. But on the other side of it, then you could have the real person that's represented by the twin actually playing the game on Twitch or some streaming service. So it creates, an, again, a new economy. Okay. I do think I, I think that I do need to be on Mushrooms for this conversation, but interesting. Now, so do you think okay. about this, I just really wanted an agency where I could deal with artists that didn't talk. They were just animated. <laughs> See, that makes Lenza. more sense. Look, that look makes at, more sense. Look at Lenza, what they did with AI. The Lenza thing is really remarkable. I mean, if you really look at that, it's just something that's being generated. And AI is going to be a big part of the space as well. Interesting. And, and the key is, 
that if you look at this generation that's creating a lot of this stuff, they have imagination, man. They don't give a shit. They will, you know, create a game that's about banking or they'll go try, you know, doing the GameStop thing and, you know, fuck the hedge funds over. I mean, it's just funny to see companies now, look, Coinbase is producing a movie, you know, and, and it's like, that's an exchange. Like you have different things that can happen together because it's just such a different time. What was your thoughts initially when you saw the Trump NFT? Um, honestly, like we ha- we don't have a bad enough right now in crypto. <laughs> like, give me, you know. It's I like, was like, oh, cool. Now, because yeah, it's so great. funny because the narrative on like Fox, I always know what's happening over there because I just have to call my parents in Florida. And my mom's like, oh, crypto. I really hope you didn't waste your money, Elizabeth. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And it's gone now, but I'm oh, not Elizabeth touching it. it Elizabeth bought it too expensive. Elizabeth should have bought it inexpensive. Elizabeth should have bought it inexpensive and Elizabeth didn't. Um, Tezos, not so bad, but Tezos has really tanked since. So fucking kill me. Um, yeah, but keep in mind, these guys are all building stuff and there hasn't been utility yet. No, I you know. know. That's why I'm, I'm not touching it. I'm just leaving it alone. Yeah. But anyway, so my mom, you know, oh my God, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, you kids are so stupid and da 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 And I was, I'm like, okay, so obviously this is what Fox News is saying. So I haven't heard anything yet, but I'm just waiting for her to be like, oh, Elizabeth, I'm now on Discord. Because Trump has just ruined one more thing, you know, truly. Look, I, I think they sold out and went up in value. Good for Trump, you know. I got, and I got to tell you something else. The funny thing is, you know, growing up in California, you know, liberal for almost all of my life, I've spent a lot of time with the other side um, in Florida. And when you take a look at like the congressional hearings and specifically like I watched all of the congressional hearings on FTX, I gotta tell you, the other side actually has a pretty strong sense about what this economy is about and the bipartisan, um, you know, bills that are going to be coming are the ones that are going to fly. And they actually know more than the liberal side of things. Yeah, Um, because it's called money. Because they do the research and they fucking are about their coins. (laughs) Bitcoins or otherwise, you know what I mean? But whatever gets you there, you know, at the end of the day, it's important because think about it this way. If we don't have regulation that supports the creators, the creators go elsewhere and the innovation goes elsewhere. So who suffers? Everyone. Especially the creators here. I was going to say the creators. Listen, I mean. We want innovation to stay in this country. So, you know, is it so much to ask to to be well prepared and, you know, understand what's happening? And and I think, you know, a lot of the senators and they just don't, you know, They, they just phone it in. Um, but you got to give it to the right because they they don't phone it in. They actually do the research. I know. I get it, dude. I'm not saying you're wrong. Look, I'm, I know. And, you know? And, and you know, for me, it was like, imagine someone came to you and said, you know, Liz, I don't really like what you do for a living. It's corrupt. <laughs> and, you know, then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. I'm actually pretty sure I think people do say that to me all the time. It's so strange. Um, I don't know thing about what you do. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Tell you me about You don't know what you're doing? Oh, okay. Well, welcome to Cool Cool Cool. So you don't know what has happened to me in so many years. Actually, no, that's not what happened. You reached out to me on LinkedIn. And you said it's time for a catch up. And I yeah. have been in the background thinking about you because I did an interview with this guy named Brian who started an NFT cryptocurrency private club for queer people and he 
brought me in early on and I asked him to explain what um, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin was. And um, well, pause, because that's where I'm going to insert his audio. Right. And so in short, this guy named Satoshi, who may or may not even be real, um, released this white paper about his point of view on technology in the world and how to basically verify digital things mm -hmm. onto a record. And um, this has been around for quite some time, but, you know, it's very much entered the mainstream conversation. I feel like as of very recently, like this past year and a half where, you know, it's reaching like your family's dinner table and no longer like, you know, the engineer who's like, you know, behind closed doors, like playing around with, you know, you know, their computer. Brian is a sweetheart, but Brian is giving me borderline online scammer vibes masked in a costume of innocence. I am likely going to get kicked out of his private club for saying this. But I just have to be honest, and I'm so sorry, and I love you, Brian, and thank you for your time. But like, what? What is the most surprising thing about me, like, eight or nine, ten years later? How long you been than from when we first met? I've been married for three years, almost three years, two years, three. There you years. go. You're making it work. <laughs> What year is it? I mean, we got married in 2019. So three yeah. years. You know what, though? Listen, we got married and then the pandemic happened. I, I went into a total married, trauma shock. We were, we were together for like almost three years and, and, you know, divorced. We were together for seven total. But I mean, you know, like relationships are fucking hard. You know, I don't I'm like, understand. We've been together for seven years, too. I, don't <laughs> that. I, I think this is what the key is. The girlfriend told me um, she's convinced I have Asperger's. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Your current girlfriend. Yeah. Now it uh, makes sense. Now I understand. I okay. Have maybe. Maybe a touch. Maybe a maybe touch. A touch. A okay. Touch. So the most surprising thing about me is that I'm married now. No, you're happy. Oh. You're not quite as snarky. Really? You were snarky. I was snarky? You were snarky and you were, you were a little bit down in, in, in your way, which was adorable. But you are happy and light. Wow. You know what's so funny is that I'm still dark and still snarky and still Not sad. On it, I'm it, on it, antidepressants, though, now, and I wasn't before. Oh, so they're maybe. making a difference. I'll keep eating them. Really? You know what's funny? I tried to go off of them recently, and my wife was like, you can't. You have to go back on them. You're, you're, you're really lovely and light. And there were times, I think, even when I knew you, that you know we weren't really a good combination because I'm dark and cranky and all of that shit and um you know we we both can go there yeah we both can really go there wow i i love hearing that from you i mean it's true and also you met me at a time when i was so broke like i think it's so funny like i think about and i've you know i i was just at a party and i ran into this woman who I hadn't seen since I was like a little bar back. Like when I met you, like a little fucking ragamuffin running around. And she was like, what do you do for work now? Like, what do you, this, that, and the other. And I was like, dude, when I met you, I was stealing food out of the walk-in because I was starving. I had just moved to LA. 
barely had a car, like was really putting it all together. I mean, I had kept in touch with you once I left restaurants and like went yeah, over you to MySpace. You also had family pressures, if I remember right. I do remember some of these stories. Back then, yeah, there were some family pressures. Yeah, my family blows. I barely talk to them anymore, too. <laughs> See? I said, it, I said it nice. You said it not so nice. Yeah, no. And it was so, it's such an interesting time. Yeah, I was snarky and mean. In okay. See, I love it. I keep trying to have less people on this show. Like then I I've been reading um diary entries, which 10 out of 10 don't recommend. Like horrible trauma, you know. Now I've got to like really talk about it in therapy about like all of the you, you want to read something that was really transformative for me anyway. Sure. Do you know who Michael Singer is? No, but I'm writing it down. So Michael Singer had had a couple of books that really like changed the way I thought about things. And one of them was called The Untethered Soul, um, which a lot of people know about. And the other one was called The Surrender Experiment. And Untethered was about assigning value to feelings or, you know, emotions. So, you know, with the way we live today, if something is good, it just kind of passes through us. And that's cool, right? We're fine. But if it's not good, it'll stick with us and it'll just fucking haunt us. So why do we assign a value to something as not good. We don't have to. And if we can just say everything's fine, um, regardless of what it is, then we're going to have a different experience. The second book, which really kind of moved me, which is theoretically his first book, was a story about his life. He was this young guy that was torn between, you know, being an economist and wanting to meditate in the woods. And he made this decision that he would just say yes to everything. And it's the journey of his life with him saying yes, and everything fell into place. And he never thought once about what do I need to do? What's next? He just found these opportunities. And even when he wanted to say no, he said yes. And it led to these really amazing experiences. I still have no idea what the fuck Les is talking about. But I do know Les is rich and he's smart and he always seems to be a step ahead. I also love that Les has the ability to be as sharp offline as he clearly is online. And maybe he's on to something. Maybe I need to reframe my reality. I need to say yes to things, maybe not cryptocurrency. I need to be more willing to change the narrative. And maybe I'm not as sad as I kind of always think that I am. Also, full disclosure, I am not under any circumstance telling you to invest in cryptocurrency because I still don't fucking get it. <laughs> 